Hello, everyone. This is KC. Um, I am back from a, a long and very short eight weeks of parental leave. And I'm here today, not with Jamil, but with uh, Dr. Diane Ariza, um, originator of the podcast, um, who took one for the team um, during my last week of leave with um, my new little baby. And Diane is here. Um, Diane hosted a very interesting conversation um, related to an earlier podcast episode. And uh, Diane, I wonder if you would um, share with everyone what it is that, what happened on campus? What was this event? Um, who are the, the folks we're going to hear from in this episode? What are we talking well, about? Well, I, I, I would be, um, I need to say that uh, I want to thank you and Jamil uh, for bringing these hosts early on last March to introduce this book that they edited around Black faculty's experiences in mm -hmm. higher education. And from that conversation, uh, it inspired us, some of us, to really think about using the We're Not Okay book as one of the seven books in the, in the series as part of the community read. And then from that, uh, we were so excited about how people showed up to that community read that we felt this is a great opportunity to talk, to bring these, um, these guests to campus. The president leadership team, President Joe and, and the vice presidents and deans also had an opportunity to, to really engage with this book as well. So there's been a, there's been a lot of discussion and, and a lot of, um, good energy around this book from the first day you introduced them to us. Justin Stewart and Antia Allen were guests on the podcast back, uh, I believe in March, season four. Um, and they were the first book that Jamil and I talked about. So We're Not Okay, Black Faculty Experiences and Higher Education Strategies from Cambridge University Press. It's a beautiful book and we had a great conversation. So if you have not listened to that conversation yet, um, you definitely want to go back um, and listen to that. They've got a really great perspective. And truly, like they're so dynamic, so engaging, and amazing that they could then come to campus. I'm sorry I missed the conversation, but I did listen to this um, conversation that you hosted afterwards, which was very interesting. So I wasn't at this event. Um, I've read the book. I've talked with the editors. I know the colleagues um, who are in this conversation. And I'm thinking about folks who are listening from outside of our university. Um, you know, how often do we have a common read or um, we have some kind of a social justice book club? Um, but in this case, I don't know, what I'm hearing in this conversation is, yeah, it's definitely real talk. It's not a, um, oh, let me talk about, you know, how wonderful this book is, or it's challenging. It's a challenging conversation. And you'll hear that, you know, they're bringing up issues that are both specific to our university Mm -hmm. um, but also true of higher education in general, true of other institutions. And um, this is particularly a group of Black faculty members talking about their experiences um, and talking about their, I mean, I heard a lot in that conversation. I heard yes. Yes. frustration um, and anger and fatigue. I also heard um, possibility. I heard pragmatic solutions. Um, it was a generous conversation. Um, I felt, yes. you know, as uh, somebody listening in, I thought, you know, this is the real talk that people have when there are campus events around justice. Absolutely, Casey. And I, and I feel that the listeners, uh, and, and to, to go back to why a follow-up with, uh, we wanted to identify uh, the audience and, and, and there wasn't a, a lot of opportunity to do a Q&A. So we felt the need to have, to just dry, drill down a little bit as to what we heard. And uh, I thought uh, appropriate to really reach out to the champions. Um, these are four faculty. There are many more on our campus, but four faculty who did attend the event last week. And, uh, and you had a lot to say about this and wanted to provide that platform for them. Because oftentimes we know that there's trauma, there's 
-hmm. There's invisibility. There's not real talk happening. Uh, and this gave them a platform to really open it up to not just our listeners who follow us uh, intently, but others that may need to really uh, take a deep dive listen to what they're not hearing and should be hearing. Mm -hmm. Well, I, you know, I have more thoughts on what to say, but frankly, I think people just need to hear this conversation. I, I would too. I, I, I yeah. you know, you see, I, I know that you and I tend to, you know, we can, we have deep conversations about these issues, but I, I think in fairness to the audience, um, let, let, let's give them that opportunity before we follow up again. All right. Well, thank you, Diane, for taking one for the team. Thank you. Thank you again. All right. And, and Jamil will be back next week. Yes. I'm Brandon Hutchinson. I'm associate professor of English and also affiliate faculty in the Women and Gender Studies Department. Hi, I'm Marian Evans, and I am associate professor in the Department of Public Health, affiliate faculty in Women and Gender Studies, the graduate coordinator for the Master's in Public Health program here at Southern. Hi, I'm Mary Boudreaux. I'm an associate professor in the Department of Educational Leadership and Policy Studies. I also serve currently as the coordinator of the Education and Leadership Doctoral Program. And hi, I'm Stephen Hoffler. I'm the associate professor in the Social Work Department, and I'm also serving as the assistant chairperson in Social Work. Greetings. Very excited to be here with all of you today. Uh, I know that uh, we had, we just came off of a wonderful event last week where we had our guest editors engage a uh, Southern community on a book talk, We Are Not Okay, focused on Black faculty experiences in higher education uh, strategies that they shared with us. And I, I have to say, before we begin our conversation, because I know all of you um, attended this event, I was really excited to have this book be selected among the seven uh, community reads that are at the institution and also the leadership team. And Stephen, I know you'll say a little bit more about this, but we've had uh, Dr. Hoffler uh, from Social Work really do a, a beautiful job in engaging the, the leadership team as to how can they be held accountable to, to really think about bringing in um, a community of scholars where it, particularly black um, faculty, BIPOC faculty feel included, respected and supported. So I'm gonna start with a, the, an open conversation, uh, a general question for all of you, uh, that if you could share a little bit about what that experience was like for you last week when, when, these edit, when the guests, our guest editors came to talk to us about this very important topic. And just maybe Stephen, if you wanna start the conversation about your reactions to the experience, that would be great. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Diane, for having us. Uh, yeah, I think for me, um, well, for one, um, the experience, particularly as one who has facilitated a conversation several times, and then to also be trying to participate as uh, a general reader, it was really, it's been challenging, right, to facilitate because as I sat there and I saw this image of one of the narratives of a black, uh, African American male, I'm almost six feet tall. So sometimes I do <laughs> say I'm six feet tall, I'm 5'11. And this, this image of this six foot um, black male who has to uh, not only do code switching or so, but in particularly the narratives of how students perceive him, evaluations, everything else too, just spoke 
clearly to me. So it was very validating, but at the same time, um, trying to hold not only the validation, but also it's still like the memories, the triggers. Um, yeah. So for that, on a personal note, mm-hmm. I just experienced a lot of validation from the book on, on from every chapter, but then the acknowledgement of how painful it can be to be of an underrepresented minority group as a faculty member, which people look at you and think you have this level of power. And at the end of the day, it's exhausting. (laughs) So that's how I experienced it. I'd like to say that I was pleasantly surprised, but it didn't surprise me because it was, if you took a look at the audience, I'll just make a general comment about my reaction to the audience. It was preaching to the choir. So, you know, being a predominantly white institution, I would have expected that it would have been nice. The pleasant surprise would have been um, to see more more people who need to hear what the authors and what the book is about than those of us who know. Can you say a little bit more um, about who would you have wanted to see in that? I mean, I'm not disagreeing. I think everybody... Um, probably would agree with what you just said. And sometimes these events tend to draw the the, the social justice anti-racist warriors all the time. And yet those that need to be listening and carefully reflecting to to execute and change aren't there. So I, I, I'm with you that I felt equally disappointed uh, that that there weren't others that should be in this space. Um, Can you say more about that? Yeah. Let's just talk about, um, you know, President Joe gave a nice piece, you know, spiel about um, um, his leadership cabinet, like all having to read the book. And I know I saw President Joe, and I may be wrong, but where was the rest of his leadership cabinet? Mm -hmm. I mean, you, Diana, because you're you're involved in the work, right? But like the provost, right? So for those of you you don't know, um, or or we're doing this right, this whole um, faculty fellowship initiative, right? And Diana, you know because you got you got part of the piece. But I did a test this weekend, right? And you know the whole faculty fellowship initiative is to bring in. What we were told, what I was told was um, minority specifically. They're looking for to recruit minority um, uh, staff, more faculty, right? Um, and I sent something because I'm part of a group, but you know, in order to send out, and it said, oh, please send out these uh, minority faculty fellowship initiative information to your networks. Well, one of my networks that I sent it out to, they said, oh, well, sending out this kind of stuff, Marion, you need to like have your institution, right? Like pay $2,500, you know, uh, to support our conference, our national conference. Well, let me just say, in the scope of things, $2,500 is not a lot of, lot of money for this institution, okay? And so I said, okay, well, this is a test. We'll see if they're going to put their money where their mouth is once again, right? Because we know how long it's taking you to get your office space and your office set up, Diane, right? Um, and that was with pushing, right? So, you know, you know, so it's all, you know, I, you know, I understand. I understand the dollars that will flow into this institution if, if it um, becomes a minority serving institution. So I was like at Mr. Barber's thing the other night, I said, oh, at least they're saying it out loud now, right? That, that that is the focus. That's some of what they're trying to do, right? But it is almost exploitation, right? To know that this is not about because you believe that people of color deserve a good education and you want to bring them to your institution, right? Like, like it, it, it's it's about those dollars, or like at least this is what I believe, right? Whether they ever say it or not, right? It's about those dollars kind of thing. So it is timely. It was preaching to the choir. And, you know, I would have loved to just say, yeah, how many people he got on his leadership team? Diane, because you might know. I don't know. 
Seven. Okay. Were those seven people there? No, and 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 I, I I think we rest our case, and I do know that a couple of them did express that they needed to be at another event that was happening at the same time. So sometimes, right, conflict of of other uh, of schedules. But to your point, it's it's beyond the leadership team, right? Where are the other administrators? Right. Um, so, right. yeah. so yes, and as yeah. leadership, so will the people go, right? Mm -hmm. So having been a leader out in the community, I understand I set the tone, I set the pace, right? And when I wanted my my supervisors to get on board around a, a certain thing, and when I wanted my department to get on board with a certain thing, my department, I had to set the pace. And it wasn't by doing things one time, right? Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah, I- We got some work to do. We're yeah. I was wondering, uh, I, I know that, again, uh, if I can hear from, you know, Dr. Hutchinson and Dr. Boudreaux, that would be great. Just your overall impressions. Um, and maybe you're, you, I can, I echo what, what has been said already, but it'd be nice to hear your voices too. Um, I'll add that, um, honestly, at first I wasn't really going to go. Um, I, I really had to uh, kind of motivate myself to really come at the last second. Um, you know, I've, when you've been doing this work for a long time and I've, I've this is not my first rodeo at a PWI. Um, and so I'm very much um, vested in, in understanding um, how to move higher education forward. Um, and I think when I got there, it was exactly like I foresaw that it would be, <laughs> foresee pr pretty much. And that was um, that there were very, still very few of us that were there. Uh, and, and I'm saying, most people say people of color, but I tried to be very um, specific. There were very few black people that were there and there were very few black faculty that were there pretty much. Um, mm -hmm. On the other hand, um, I saw more uh, white faculty, which didn't surprise me. Um, but I think my biggest concern is uh, a little bit more with what Marion said, is that the right people are always there, but the real right people that should be there are not there. Um, my biggest thing is about accountability and being a, I guess, a quasi-policy person, I believe that strongly that if you want to make change, you make change through policy. And then through policy comes accountability. So if you want to see some type of change in this university um, and understanding a little bit more about uh, our experiences as Black faculty, then I what should have been, in my thinking, is that where are the deans where are the department chairs? Those are the are the people that impact who we are at this level. Um, those are the people that we have to um, collaborate with and work with. So um, it's kind of stifling, I think, for us um, faculty, black faculty, when our peers aren't there and when people that are uh, supposedly vested into the university that are decision makers, even people on the faculty senate. This is not an issue for black people. This is an issue for all people. And it, and if we want to make improvements in this university, then it has to be a an, an call for everyone at the table and everyone should have a voice and a narrative at that table. Um, and that's just not what I'm seeing. But again, like I said, this is not indicative of just a siloed university here at Southern. I've seen this, this is across America. I think that the uh, book, We're Not Okay, does not surprise me at all. Um, I had a chance to really, really had a chance over the last couple of days to go through it and found that actually one of my former colleagues actually wrote <laughs> chapter five. So <laughs> that was interesting because I know him personally and his work and um, seeing what he was speaking of about African-American males and, and some of 
um, the issues that he shared with me personally that he was subjected to, it doesn't surprise me at all. And ironically, he's no longer in higher education, which is unfortunate because for speaking as myself, as an African, identifying as an African-American female, um, I've had so many um, of my colleagues and just constituents out there that have chosen to no longer pursue this route um, and excellent in their work. But just the, the pressure that we're faced with daily um, of, 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 and like someone mentioned in the actual um, presentation, that imposter syndrome um, of, of trying to meet these standards of, of trying to always um, speaking appropriately, uh, code switching, that's a lot that we go through and, and dealing with microaggressions on a daily basis. So I heard a lot of this in the, the actual um, um, kind of seminar that we had here with We're Not Okay, um, but, it, but everything that they've said, the majority of it um, spoke, you know, very dearly to my experiences um, and not just here, but, but other places as well. And um, I think we're at a place, if I can just speak and say that it's, it's not okay. And I'm, I'm very fervent about that. And um, I'm, you know, and I know that at some point in time, uh, I always joke around and say, well, if, if I don't get tenure because I'm voicing my opinion, oh, well. And, and that's truly how I feel about it because I'm not going to be stifled at this point because we work very hard to get where we are. Our parents, our, we, we carry generations on our shoulders, right? And so we carry that with us because we know the toll. And so we're trying to make it easier for those next generations. But I'll end this by saying that when you don't see people that look like me in a position of, of per, perceived power or in a position of administration, then it is very hard to um, to have these kind of open conversations because you don't see anyone that looks like me there, or there's no room at the table for people that look like me at the table either. Um, and there's no room that they're making for us. And so what I'm hearing a lot is that it's kind of a, it's kind of a sense where they are kind of rewrapping uh, the, the kind of the same type of person over and over and over again for these positions. Um, in other words, they don't want change. If you wanted change, you would be looking at something different for change. But if you want to just have that holding space, you will keep doing as you're doing, but you will also keep getting what you're getting. Thank you. Thank you. Now, I was thinking about um, something you said, Mary, about that exodus, right? So one of the things that really stood out was, you know, the conversation about the article that pertained to the exodus, Black faculty leaving. And um, I, I think that I've been thoughtful about that and also just really aware of um, even, let's say, what that really seems to mean to me is leaving not just Southern, but leaving higher education because of what you said. So you would leave this pot just to jump into another pot where the circumstances will be similar. I mean, the water might be a little different. You might, you know, the temperature might be different, but like you still are going to boil over there. And I think that that was really apparent. And the way that they couched the presentation in the excerpts really was, I think, impactful. Um, but I was also interested in wondering about and talking about why other black faculty were not there. And perhaps they just couldn't manage. Like, so outside of other time constraints, like would it feel performative? You know, um, are people just kind of like that, that voyeurism, just kind of watching and not really, not really knowing how to engage with what it is that we're experiencing, but just kind of watching you know, our just experience on display and not really knowing how to, to join us in it. And that kind of labor is exhaustive. And so I wonder if some of us just couldn't come because we could not manage to do it. Um, 
And so even though it's important to have all those people there from the from the deans and the chairs, I also kind of wonder like what might that have experience have been if it was just black faculty, BIPOC faculty? What could it have been? Could that have been a healing space? Like maybe when these kind of things happen, we need a combo. <laughs> you might need to debrief from being in there where those people were not there. <laughs> I don't know. No, uh, Brandon, that's well well stated because I, I know as we as we as professors, administrators wrestle with how much do we want to continue to do, and how much do we are we singled out? The balance of here I go again, leading the conversation, and to both of your to to the point of I, I'm tired. I, I I just can't be in this space anymore. I'm tired of hearing it again, again and again with no resolution and I was interested um, maybe to hear from some of you and, and Stephen I mean you have facilitated this conversation three times and there's also interest by some of the deans to have you facilitate more conversations right and as I was thinking about um, when I met with some students today from from the Black Student Union the tiredness these are first year students they're already tired they're, 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 they, I'm the only one of one in my department, or I feel that I have to perform in a certain way every time I'm in the space. I mean, these conversations keep reoccurring. And so one of the chapters in the book, they didn't highlight it too much, and I don't believe in the event last week, but the, the saying, no, I'm done, mm -hmm. no more. And I'm, I'm curious as to is, what is the balancing act of I want to be I want to be leading conversations and you know again Brandon you've been helping me along since I've started and how are we going to hold people accountable uh, accountable at the presidential leadership team and you know we we wrestle and challenged with who's at the table and who wants to do more of the work and who says I'm not. I'm not sure if I want to be really a change agent in all of this. I, I'll do a little bit, but I'll, I'll do. I'll just step in a little bit for people to know that I'm doing this work. But how much? How much do I really have to engage? And so, Stephen, I, I'm mm -hmm. curious. Or Brandon, you two have been working with me very deliberately. I, I, I know there's a level of exhaustion. I and we've but we've talked about the invisible labor, and we've talked about how are we not holding people accountable. Can you talk a little bit about the the saying no and is that the answer? I'm done. I, I, I'm trying, but it's not, we're not yeah. elevating the work where it needs to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I want to uh, definitely answer your question, um, Diane. And I think echoing what Mary started to say, you know, in regards to what's not okay. I, I'm very intentional at this point in my career as well as where I am um, here at Southern, as well as any institution, um, by being calling things as they are, calling things out, and holding people accountable. And so, as I facilitated these, but have been at the university since 2010. Again, Marion, you you again you made the observation. It's the same people, which speaks again. I'm being very intentional and deliberate. So if it is an academic dean, academic chair, senior professor, aside from a junior faculty, I'm calling these people out, individuals out in regards to where are you, right? And I think it's important for us to hold those because again, it becomes very performative. Um, and at, at this particular time, enough is enough. Uh, because when we look at the stats in 2022, <laughs> We haven't moved, I think some of the stats in the data of faculty and staff, and particularly whether in leadership or not, it looks like we're going backwards, right? And so I think that there is no intentions, it's very performative. And I don't mind at this particular point speaking very directly to our leadership as well as to others who are in departments who are saying that I don't see you at all. And where are you and, um, and your role to not only help with the recruitment retention of diversifying our faculty. So yes, I think where I'm at now is not only based off of uh, my observation, but also the experiences. And to the point that we're all making, we see the same people. 
you see the same allies, co-conspirators at every single function that's related to the diversity of our community and our university. These same people. Can I add something as well? Um, you know, I, I, I struggle, and, 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 it, and as you all are aware, I'm coming in and, and I'm kind of like what Brandon says, I, I'm that person who kind of sits back and watch <laughs> quite a bit um, because I, I, I'm like, like you said, I'm very intentional in, in what I do and, and what I say. Um, this is very tough work and, and I'm very much aware of that. But I think more importantly, what I struggle with the most is that understanding that even the people that are involved in this process, are they involved for the right reasons, right? Um, for instance, you know, one of the things I made a comment about is the lumping of brown and black people together. We're in the same fight together, but we have a different journey and we have a different past. You cannot align us and say, okay, it's brown and black people. This is not how this is, this is not how it works, you know, at, at all. Um, I've had people say to me, well, you know, what's good for uh, brown people will also benefit black people. That's not necessarily true. And we really have to unlearn some things. And so I also think about that, you know, as, as we all know, they're all good intentions. And a lot of our white faculty have good intentions, but good intentions are not enough anymore. And I often wonder, is there intentions about themselves feeling that they have accomplished something or that they're on a mission to resolve uh, issues with black people? I don't need you to resolve my issue or issues of black people. I need you to be an ally. So sometimes I think what I'm saying, what, what I am saying here is that sometimes when you have too many people involved, it doesn't make space for the right people to get involved and make giving us a place at the table, which is one of the reasons why I've, I've sat back for four years. Because when you have all of these other people up front who seemingly knowing that they know the answer or they're working so hard for the answer and they look nothing like me, how can you determine and tell me about who I am? You know, for a lot of Black people, we have issues with that. You cannot tell me who I am as a Black woman or how I self-identify, genderize or whatever as a black person. And so what you'll see is, is that yes, there are other black faculty, but they may be one of those observers like myself at first, and we're not involved. It's because you've got all these other people involved in the fight. And I'm, like I said, it's, it's a question of what are, what are they to gain from this, from this fight that they have no idea based upon the personal experience of what it's like to wake up being a black person. And Diane, you said something interesting about the students and that you're surprised. I'm not surprised about these students. When we wake up every day in the morning and we look into the mirror, we are always going through these same fighting thoughts, right? So this doesn't just start, this starts at conception of being born in this world where these young people are feeling what we feel. So I have a 22 year old son, he feels the exact same way. I can actually have conversations with him and my nine year old daughter going through a lot of these different feats. And so having to explain this to them about this is the essence, unfortunately, of being a black woman or a black man in America, it does not change. So. What I'm saying by that is if you want to do something, circles of trust are important, which may be a reason why we do not have black people coming to this event. 
because as I said before, I really did not want to come at first. I had to really motivate myself because if there's no safe space for me to be able to give my, my narrative or it being countered or it being questioned, which it has been before here at this university, or if I make a comment and say, okay, this particular person has used their white privilege to do such and such, and someone comes right behind you and say, well, Mary, do you? it could be that, but do you think it also could be something else? Well, guess what you're doing? You're totally denouncing everything that I have said, which has put me in a much more abrasive and much more defensive position. Because now you're telling me that that is actually not the right way of viewing something. So I think um, that having that safe space, having these kind of conversations amongst Black faculty is very important and very key. You can't have it when you have all these other people in that unit because then things get misconstrued and then there's that cognitive dissonance of not understanding uh, of a space. So I really think that space is important, a safe space if we don't have it. And again, if we don't see others that look like us, we can't move forward. You won't see progression. And as much as you want to go out here and find black faculty at, or, um, or supposedly faculty or at a, um, you know, at a HBCU or his uh, predominantly Hispanic institution. I come from an HBCU. So I'm, I went there purposefully, intentionally, right? I'm not necessarily choosing to come here because coming to a white PWI is impressive or wow, they chose me. Oh my God, they picked me. That's very a savior kind of um, perspective. It's very idealistic and utopian. To the average black person, that's dystopian, right? And, and, and so I think that we need to rethink how we are going to um, recruit people of color. And not only that, how are you going, what are you doing for us that are here for retention and persistence, right? for us to get over the threshold. So I think that this university has some thinking that they need to do. I know that there's um, uh, that there's institutes coming up, but again, and I'm gonna end this by saying, accountability policy and accountability is important to changing. If there's something accountable for people, whether you wanna go or not, you need to be at the table. You can't just go and cherry pick people from an HBCU or a predominantly Hispanic serving institution and saying, okay, well, we're going to pick the best and come here and, and enculturate them or assimilate them. What are you trying to do? Because if you haven't made the space for us in a circle of trust, what do you think is going to happen to these people when they meet us that are here and they ask us, well, guess what? Well, how's, how's the climate there at Southern? Well, you know what? These are my true experiences. Well, wait, that's not what they shared with us. Of course not. They were interested in recruiting you to come here. So when reality hits those folks and they see that, guess what? The water is not much more clearer than it was and then on the other side or, or what was perceived to be, then they will exit as well. So that's where I'm gonna leave it and I'll allow my other colleagues to chime in. If I wanted to thank you, Mary, uh, there was a lot there, uh, and we could probably um, spend a lot of more hours just deconstructing all of what you talked about: policy, accountability, safe spaces. One one um, of many topics that have come up, and and I, th I thank you for for just bringing elevating that is that as um, universities engaging with recruiting more underrepresented faculty of color to the institution to parallel the growth of the student body. There's been lots of conversation about these Southern fellows coming. Um, I believe there are seven or eight identified um, positions. And yet everybody was not, while there was some excitement around that, there was pushback, a lot of pushback to your point, Mary, 
you're doing what? Not recognizing that there's still lots of harm and trauma for all the faculty, black faculty on this campus and Brown and, and others too, but you haven't addressed those issues and you're ready to bring more in. So I, I wanna, the book, the book provided us with a lot of recommendations, but I would like to hear, and, and certainly, uh, Marion, if you could speak to this, you know, the, the recommendations, if you paid attention, some we were like, uh-huh, those are good. Some we were like, mm, we're not even close. Are there any in, in really developing this climate of, of inclusion on respect? We talked about safe, brave spaces. And I think, you know, Brandon, you said it, where was the space for our black faculty to come together? If they didn't feel, we don't know, but if they didn't feel that this was the space, could there have been other spaces for them? I think that's well noted. Are there other, if you were to provide this list of recommendations, um, again, not, not, not minimizing what the book provided us, from a Southern perspective, what needs to happen before you start to recruit more faculty of color? What, what do you see as critical? We talked about policy, right? And that sometimes is a little bit nebulous for, so what, what do you mean by policy? Um, how do we do that intentionally? In what way are we thinking about, yes, we're here now, but can you say more, each of you, but again, Marion, can you start the, com you know, lead us into that. But what, what does that list look like for Southern? What needs to happen now? So, you know, there's, there, um, I'm just thinking about, I just had this, <laughs> I just had this conversation a little bit earlier with my chair and another faculty member and, you know, everything from something simple like KPI, which is in the book, and they talk about key, key, key performance indicators, right? And so I had this conversation saying, I would like to see something like this in my department around P&T promotion and tenure, right? I want us to come together as a, a, a department and we're having a retreat. Um, we're having a retreat, I believe it's this week or next week. And um, I said, uh, so that when new people come in, they won't have to experience what I experienced, right? They won't have to get this one giving their subjective opinion about how to get put a file together or what they're looking for and all that, that we as a department have decided what it is that we want our new members to do. We've all agreed that this is what we want our new members to do. And this is what progress looks like within our department. Everything from, you know, all of those four pieces that that they say that we need to do per contract or by, you know, union guidelines or whatever, right? Um, and in our department, this is what we say. Then we could take something like that, that is concrete and it is written. So put it in writing so that there won't be any, any confusion, discrepancies. It won't be that we're working on hearsay, right? based upon what your friend told you or whatever, right? About what the university, what the dean, what the, what, what. So we would be delivering this, this document from our department to P&T committee saying, when you evaluate people from our department, this is what we're looking for. This is what we want. We felt this person met this or did not meet this, but here, let us share this with you, right? I mean, it sort of seems kind of simple to me, right? You know, like, like, like communication. But you know, we could go back to slavery times about what happens when you write write it down and make it plain, right? And, and why we why some people wouldn't want that, right? That's right. Around right those kinds of guidelines. So something simple as P and T, right? Because, I mean. It's a big deal, right? P you know, we can use PNT as as and who is on the PNT committee, right? And yes. things like that. So, 
you know, and I've, I've had some discussions with some some people a couple a year ago on the PNT committee about things. I've sent them things right that they can do, you know, and things like that um, from a university perspective. Um, but yeah, something something simple like let's write it down and make a plan. What is it that we're looking for? Right. Could it come from the department? Could it come from, you know, so that we could be clear? I'm not dealing with anybody outside of my department because my department has actually done something really nice for me and made it clear, not based on anything, but these this is what they want from me. This is the type of things they're looking for. I can remember going through PT, starting PT, because I came into the university already with publications. I said, Well, well, how many? How many do you want? You know, and nobody would give me a number. Okay. Nobody would say one. Nobody would say two. And I kept pressing them with that simple question. Well, just how many new publications do you want with Southern's name on it? Right? Because then when I delivered the publications, they said, well, now it's the journals that you're using or, or, or that was too quick that you got that publication. Right? So, so uh, we need to stop that foolishness. Thank you. Thank you, Marion. Brandon, what you got? What you got? You know, I was thinking when I was an undergrad years ago, I went to a small, predominantly white institution, and we had few uh, black black women faculty there. And I remember as a you know as a as a teenager, not like being you know fairly narcissistic, um, thinking a lot about my own needs being at that university. I grew up in all the boroughs of New York and I wound up in school in Geneva, New York. So very, very small population of black people. And I did not have a way to understand what I was seeing with my black, my black women professors. You know, um, they, they were available, but also a little distant. Yeah, they had families, but they, but they also really looked like they had been through the fire, right? But I had no way of understanding what was happening because I was also going through my own parallel experience. And so one of the things I think we need at the university is really a way to foster conversation between our black faculty and staff and our black students. Because they're, they're, we, we, to remember that while there, you know, there's differences in you know, rank and power, but just like you said, Mary, you're having the same conversations with your children. We're having the same conversations with our loved ones. And wouldn't it be such a force if we were somehow joined in a different way? I think that that is really important to have an attunement, to groom an attunement from both of those perspectives of our needs. Because I don't believe that our university sees us as a united body. And because we're going through so many things to try to survive, we might, okay, maybe we're not gonna show up for the students this because we gotta just take care of ourselves. Or maybe they don't even know that we could use their support and see us that way. I think something is missing there. I don't think we spend enough time thinking about that dynamic yeah. and grooming relationship, real empathy yeah. in our community, despite our rank and position. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, go ahead, Stephen. Go ahead. No, thank you, Brandon. I, and that, that was one of the notes, and I continue to say that. And of course, Brandon and Diane and I have these conversations all the time around the cultural taxation and what it means to be a Black person um, in higher ed, particularly faculty. And I think that needs to be like the number one priority, right? Of what supports the resources, just as much as the book outlines those strategies, but oftentimes we don't necessarily see them implemented at all and sustained, that's critical at every rank. Um, you know, I think personally, but at the same time, when we still are of the minority of any of our respective disciplines and professions, there lies, again, what will never show up in any P&T is all the cultural taxation that comes with the service that we have outside of our departments on who we are as black people in our communities. And, and that's the piece that you will, you will never get measured regardless of what publication or presentation has had. Um, you know, you're an English professor, you're, you're 
public health, medical doctor. We have to also serve our communities outside of that, which is still representative of who we're serving at our respective institution. And that can never be quantified um, except for our own personal experience, which comes to the um, <laughs> the trauma that we have to experience on what it means to be mentors to the students of color <laughs> outside of your advising um, schedule, which goes back to, I'm waiting for you, right, you know, um, to address all these microaggressions in the classroom that we experience daily. And we know our, because we hear it from our students of color all the time outside the classroom. And there that becomes that extra hour, or again, that email check-in with me or so. That is the typical experience of what it means to be a Black person and why we need, to your point, these spaces amongst ourselves to not only support and have some mutual support, but the university has to invest and put the resources in and not we try to find our what time we have left to, to be together, to support so that <laughs> not only our community and our students can benefit from having faculty that at least are somewhat uh, emotionally um, uh, and physically present. And until they put those resources and supports in place, it's not gonna happen. Um, and that needs to be, like you said, the number one priority. Lastly, because um, we made an attempt several years ago, right? And this was before you, Diane, when at least a uh, um, racial intersectional justice group, when we at least started the conversations and we broke into affinity groups, right? But of course, that that's not going to be sustained if the university does not make it, our leadership does not make it a priority for us to have the space and the resources to do that. So, you know, I think that's the piece that I think the book by itself highlights the, the impact of, of mental health on us, right? Which again, we're supposed to just continue to mask and redress everything up to because that's what we have to do. And the last thing I will say is, it is a reminder, Brandon, on my PhD dissertation committee, one of my, she was our research um, and PhD director and she was black. And again, one of the three black professors and teachers I've had in my entire K through PhD program, she was exhausted, exhausted. Because not only did the black and brown and, and students of color look to her, but the white students wanted her on, her on their committees. And even after she retired for years, she's still on their committees. That's the experience of black faculty. So, so I, I was getting ready to write a, a message in the chat, but I just want to know, because Brendan, you've been here longer than, than I have. Um, and then Steve, Diane, uh, Mary, uh, did anybody talk to you from a higher level, like a dean or a chair or a dean or, or you know, going up? about how you felt about becoming a minority servant institution and what it would take, what would we need to put into place? Okay, yes, thank you, Steve, for that laugh. Cause, right? They didn't talk to us and they didn't, nobody talked to me. Uh, can I also say this? When, you know, all of you are talking about um, these organizations. What I did write down briefly is, um, you know, in some universities, there are black faculty organizations and I think that having that organization could actually um, have a stronger impact um, for that space, that safe space, for that mentoring process. But I also agree that um, you have to give us room to be able to create such, right? Um, and I am that person for these doctoral students as the coordinator of the doctoral program. I am the one who's right now plowing through 11 dissertations or proposed dissertations for students. Um, and yet all of the work that I'm producing here 
within the department and even um, working with people outside of the department to be able for not only the two or three African-American students, now I've recruited three or four uh, Latino students into the program to be able to create some type of dis you know, um, diversity um, within our doctoral program, but there's no relief beyond four credits. So here's the other reasons why you don't see me because I'm so busy dealing with teaching these classes and a coordinating a program that should be a director of a program because that's the type of work that I'm doing over, it's, it's a full-time position, right? And so if I don't take that time out for wellness, as someone was speaking earlier, you know, I'm going to be burnt out and it's enough. And the wording that I did not hear is really about feeling self-defeated in the whole process. And also just, um, you know, just, just, just living with, with just this strife is everyday, everyday issues that, that we're dealing with. So we don't have that room and that space to be able to help others. We want to, you know, I think it's in just part of our DNA, but uh, it's impossible to be able to be everything to everybody and to do everything for everybody. And we see our students. We see our Black students. We know that you're there. Even though I don't teach undergrad, I see them. I know them. I see their plight, you know. Um, but at the same time, it's making those decisions by ourselves because I'm siloed, right? I It's, it's like I don't come out <laughs> except in the evening time for my, you know, that's the only time you'll see me. And most of you, if you're just teaching undergrads, you're probably going in. So we're all so siloed. Right. I, I, I can't make my connections with with my faculty, with my other colleagues, because I don't have that space and that timing to do so. So the result is racial battle fatigue. Right. That That is a real issue. And so I have to try in some in some way to. To mentally prepare myself each day and to think about how I am going to turn off to, um, like Brandon said, deal with our own kids, you know, Stephen, work with our own families, because it's so much that, um, that we are engulfed in, so. So much that has been said. I appreciate the passion the fatigue that comes with it, the energy that all of you, regardless of how many students come your way, you, even if they're not part of your program. Um, I've, I've seen that. I've seen Stephen Hoffler. I've seen Brandon Hutchinson, Marianne Evans. I've seen you reach out. Students come to you. And I, I would agree, and I'm so thankful to be part of this conversation because part of my role at Southern, as I have done this at other institutions, is to listen, reflect, and then be, not just be in the spaces with leadership team to say, this is where we need to stay focused if we're gonna really do intentional change, transformative change. And all of what you have said, it feels, it feels, is it doable? More resources? Marianne, yes. <laughs> I am sending more Black faculty to be part of other conferences and other spaces where you can feel brave and safe. I heard that from the editors. It doesn't have to happen within Southern, that we need to also reach out to our allies and our friends and, 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 and colleagues that also feel the similar um, trauma or challenge on our particular campuses at PWIs. I hear spaces and I'm, I know Siobhan Carter-Davis David Davis has done some of this work. Um, 
And I think the intentional space, Mary, and I think all of you would agree that one, you know, I know that DEI is trying to build affinity and we were doing this more intentionally, but there has to be more spaces to do this. And students, Brandon, to your point, want this with faculty. They don't want to have a BSU meeting. I agree, Mary, that I'm not surprised with what they're saying. I'm surprised that they feel so alone in the in the in the struggle, that they feel no one is listening. No one, even though they have five advisors with BSU, but they they don't feel it's intentional and strategic. Why why would you say that? And I and here's why I'm saying that. We're siloed. We feel alone. Yes. So why wouldn't they feel Absolutely. alone? You know Absolutely. what I'm saying? I'm siloed. Yes. You know, I'm the only one that pretty much looks like me right now in my own department, right? There's only three of us carrying this department. And here's the other thing I will beg to say. Why aren't they making rooms for us at the top? So if you want to make change, make room for us. Everyone in this room, everyone that's on here is capable. We are all leaders. Right now, there's only one male leader in an administrative role, right? There's no other person. We're not new to this. We're not new to higher education. You know, this is my umpteenth year in higher ed. I'm just here four years here. You know, uh, you've got three other colleagues here. And what I'm saying is it shouldn't just be you there. Where is the space for us to be able to be able to elevate one another? And to be able to be put into those positions that we know that we're capable of doing, right? Many of us, I'm sure, have even, I know that I applied for uh, several uh, positions, uh, faculty kind of positions. We, there was not one Black person that was chosen. So you can't tell me that we are not capable of doing administrative work but you have not opened up a room for us to do so. You know, if you, as I said before, if you keep choosing the same people that have been here 20 years, you're gonna continue to get what you've got. There has to be some break in the pattern, some wrinkle in the thread for black women, black males to move beyond where we are because I'm one person, but I can tell you, I can speak for others saying, if there's not room for us, then guess what? We can go elsewhere. That's right. And that's how we feel about it. You know, and yes, we might go into another pool of a different color of a different wave, but that other pool might be ready for us to be able to elevate. You know, yeah, I, I want to, I know that again, there are many more conversations around uh, the book and also about the experiences that you shared with us. And I know that there are other black faculty who will be hearing this podcast saying, absolutely, amen. I, I, I fully support what is being said and how are these voices being channeled in a way that creates change in the way that you're out, outlining it um, for the community. I, there's so much more to say, and I know that we probably have to, um, pause for the moment. Uh, and, and I know that we probably will bring you back because there's, again, this is not an ending story or a chapter of a book. It's just, um, really in, in, in the way I'm seeing it, it's certainly looking at some of the challenges, but also some of the remedies, uh, and you've given me some to think about, and certainly the book offers a whole lot more. But yes, to the series of conversations that we want to continue to have to create a safe space, brave space for us to have these with no repercussion, right? With no person uh, retaliating against you or any of us. Um, that's key. And I think to the larger question is at the larger table, where are we? And so I, I appreciate that um, 
and I that resonated with me, but I know it resonated with everybody and certainly with our audience. Again, thank you, thank you, thank you. I know there is this is tiring to have conversations. We need to have them because it exhales some of the frustration. We inhale, but we have to exhale. At the same time, we need to see things happen. Thing, you know, there needs to be intentional change. And so I hear that from the students today. I've heard it from other years. And certainly this is not the first time that we're having this um, and I'm hearing it. So again, thank you to all of you.